0: Alrighty, gods at digigods.com that's where you can email us vox boxes emails anything else and um we have a quick reminder all the stuff we talk about in any given week, uh, there are hyperlinks to take you to the Amazon pages. So uh, go ahead to gods at digigods.com or go to digigods.com to uh, see all of the the rundown of everything that we cover. And uh, if you want, you know, it'll take you to Amazon if you want to want to grab it and see more details. Um, Mark, have you changed any of your Oscar predictions? Any?
1: No, I still think it's going to be Spotlight.
0: Yeah, I do too. I do too. Nothing seems to be changing that for me. I think it'll be Spotlight. But I do think Iñárritu is going to win uh, Best Director. I do, think, I do. I don't think they're going to give it to Tom McCarthy. I think they'll give it to too I think Tom McCarthy will win. I think their feeling is Tom McCarthy's going to win screenplay and best picture because we've been splitting it a lot lately. You know, I'm, the last 10 years, there have been more director picture splits than there were like in the preceding 40.
1: Well, the thing, too, is that I don't know that the Academy sees Spotlight as a directing achievement.
0: It's a, it's a writing and, a, and an acting achievement.
1: Which, by the way, everything is a directing achievement in yeah, a way. Yeah. If, if, if you gave Spotlight but to somebody else, it would be a different movie. I but think, still, they look at it as like a writing achievement. And an ensemble I think,
0: acting achievement. I think they feel that uh, the challenge of directing uh, that cast in, with that script probably does not compare to, you know, running around the Arctic with, and, uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio eating livers. <laughs> it, I, I, that, that just seems – they probably look at that and just go and, – and you know what that will do? That will make – that will give Iñárritu back-to-back uh, best directing uh, Oscars – which has only happened once before, you know that. Joseph L. Mankiewicz won them back to back back in like uh, whatever it was uh, fifty and fifty one.
1: He would deserve it. I love yeah. that guy. And you know, there's well, so many great directors coming out of that part of the world. You know, everyone from del, Guillermo del Toro to Inuyu. It's to, fantastic. Uh, that this part will, of the world is be really
0: three straight. there Me- would be three straight Oscars for Mexican directors. Two Mexican directors winning three consecutive uh, Academy Award. Uh, Academy Awards. Nothing wrong straight. with that. It's great. Pretty great. All right, you know what, Mark? We got kid vid that I need to uh, burn through because. uh, I'm just going to sit here
1: and uh, surf the net while you do that.
0: You know what uh we're we're switching it up a little bit with my daughter and uh you know she's enjoying more sophisticated storytelling and uh we, she's not watching Angry Birds and we the Angry Birds animated stuff I have to admit is better than I ever expected that it would be and we have an Angry Birds feature film coming out Damn right. uh but seriously it still feels like they're they're just uh overextending the idea of a game concept in any case they they've really just blown this thing out I mean you know you realize the company that created Angry Birds over in Finland or wherever, they were on the board. They, they were, like, bankrupt. They were ready to go under. They could not make money. They could not pay their people. They were almost ready to just completely collapse. They couldn't. They tried different games. Nothing was sticking. And they come up with Angry Birds, and now it is this, like, multi-billion-dollar enterprise with the stuffed animals and the it cartoons. It is the best. And it's, it's, it's insane.
1: Come on. Angry Birds the Yeah. Best.
0: Well, anyway, we've got... F- Four different Angry Birds uh, releases here. Actually, I'm sorry, three different Angry Birds releases. And uh, there's Angry Birds Tunes, Stella, which is just tweaked, and then Piggy Tails. Um, you know what? It, the, the first season of Piggy Tales is the, probably the funniest just because those stupid green pig heads make me laugh. And they're just so unhinged. Uh, I, it really, it's just very, very strange, uh, and it, it sort of goes completely over the top with the, the, to make fun of the pigs. I kind of enjoyed that. Angry Birds Tunes is much more conventional with all the different bird types, and it's, uh, it doesn't have the, it's not CGI-like looking, it's just kind of, you know, let's play with funny birds that make funny sounds. And then Stella is, uh, essentially more, it's like a, it's a, it's a spin-off. Um, that looks at this one particular bird, this little pink bird named Stella, and uh you know her her whole world on this little island i mean it 's all you know from it 's all really really just extending the franchise and pushing the film, which is probably going to make a stupid amount of money when it happens um and then we also have a couple other bird oriented titles here uh one is uh, little rooster 's excellent adventure um this is in both spanish and in english um and it's you know uh it's just a cg animated bird story and it's okay i guess it's uh you know th- there are a lot of these that just go straight to uh straight to video and uh yeah this is perfectly fine um, it was originally in spanish, and uh it 's you know if you just want to see animated birds you 'll enjoy it uh, same thing for hatched, which is uh used the voices of Sean Aston and Jeff Foxworthy to tell a story of this little little bird that could who uh, just wants to be a uh, you know just wants to be a, a pilot anyway uh it 's you know got a, some interesting voice work and that 's really all that 's all there is i mean it 's got the only the only funny thing here, and this isn 't this is a Chinese production by the way. Um the only thing that's really interesting here is that they have some funny names like Cluck Norris and uh and Tiny Schwartz Hanner.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, I'm
0: not working for you. Okay. Um dogs got a couple with dogs wiener dog internationals and uh army dog both of them with that family approved seal that will turn off most parents. Uh, and make you run screaming the other direction. These are both live-action, uh, and uh, all these dog-centric family live-action films are just sort of uh, really uninteresting. The only thing that I can say that really... I mean, you know, it's, it, they feel just like horrendous rip-offs of, of you know, old Disney movies... The only thing that I can say that make either of these interesting are some interesting casting choices. Casper uh, Van Dien and his daughter Grace are an army dog. Isn't it funny how the guy from Starship Troopers has become like the family man guy? It's like Ice Cube. Uh, it's I know. Weird. And then uh, – The doggy. Then Wiener, He's so
1: dumb. Look you know, at him. Stupid dog. He's Mark, the dumbest.
0: Mark, do you know who stars in Wiener Dog Internationals? Uh, the dog. Morgan, the, Morgan Fairchild. Uh,
1: what is Morgan Fairchild going to do? She's like 60.
0: What has she ever done? She just sit there. Just, just look good. Not, she, looks, no, she, looks, sorry. she looks great at 60. No, she doesn't. She does. There is okay.
1: There is no 60 year old. I mean, there's a, you can look good for your age, but if you're 60 years old, you are not going to want to, there's no, there's <laughs> no, there's nobody under the age of 40 who will sleep with a 60 year old.
0: Uh, I'll find someone. I will. Man, I will.
1: Some people are into like that old, old woman stuff. I don't get it.
0: The, uh, you're not into gilfs? No. Oh, is really
1: is that a thing? Grandmothers, <laughs> I'd like to.
0: No, I don't know. It just sounds funny. Uh, the uh, The Giant King, uh, CGI animated, uh, basically kind of a. It's it's sort of uh, I don't want to say the Iron Giant ish, but it kind of shoots for being a little bit Iron Giant ish, uh, but it's much more over the top. It's it's more like it's more in the vein of uh, robots. Remember the really bad animated film Robots. You don't remember robots? Maybe. It was, it, I think it was a DreamWorks thing. Was it a DreamWorks thing? Robot? Oh, I do remember that. It was remember like a that?
1: factory that made the robots or terrible, something. Terrible,
0: yeah, yeah. terrible. Anyway, uh, this has a similar look to that, and uh, it's okay. It's from Lionsgate. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's too long. It is way too long, but it's got some good voice casting, and, uh, you know, Russell Peters is always really funny. I just love Russell Peters. He's really good. Uh, but, you know, other than that, it's just it's just passing the time for your kids. A couple of new Power Rangers titles: uh, Power Rangers Time Force, the complete series, which is horrendous, and then uh, Power Rangers Dino Charge Unleashed, which is modestly engaging for kids, probably only because it has a whole dinosaur element to it. But otherwise, it's exactly the same stuff. They just modify the costumes a little bit, and it's they, these things just get keep getting cranked out and cranked out. And for some reason, Haim Saban just keeps making ungodly amounts of money. It's off of one concept. It's just strange. And there's a new Power Rangers movie, feature film. They're doing another feature film.
1: Yeah, with Elizabeth uh, Elizabeth Banks as the villain.
0: Crazy, nuts. Uh, a bunch of Nickelodeon stuff. Uh, Whiskers and Paws, which is a uh, compilation disc of, that they release every so often. It's got little bits from all their, you know, a lot of their favorite shows, like their most popular shows, like Blue's Clues and Bubble Guppies and Dora and Friends. And you know, if you watch any of that stuff, like like I do. Uh, Shimmer and Shine is one of their new shows, and uh, we're not too fond of this. Um, the Essentially, these are a couple of little uh, genie girls, uh, one of them who is very Caucasian and the other one who looks very Middle Eastern, and uh, clearly it's all sort of um, – they, they couldn't have two that were white and two that were Middle Eastern-looking because they would have caught flack either way. So they're trying to make it, uh, like this is like we're into genie diversity now, and they have the big heads and the big eyes, like all that anime-inspired stuff that's on kids' television these days, like the Bubble Guppies. And, uh, you know, they're learning to be genies. It's it's the princess industrial complex extended into the genie world. It doesn't really work for me. Um, Rev Up and Roar is a, a disc of Blaze and the Monster Machines. We're not really into the talking cars. I have a little girl who is much more interested in Minnie and Mickey which we will get to shortly. Uh Dora and her friends season 1 uh temporada uno which means season 1 I guess in Spanish. Dora is of course growing up so she's she's in a tween phase now with this show and uh we scrupulously do not let my water, uh, my daughter watch this because uh she's not old enough and it, it it will just inspire her to be more like Dora and we prefer Peppa Pig. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Revenge, uh, more fun turtle animation, not that great. Uh, I still, I'm totally over this turtle thing. And by the way, they're tortoises. You realize that? They're not really Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're tortoises.
1: But Teenage Mutant Ninja Tortoises does not roll off the tongue
0: Yeah. as well. well, I'll tell you what it rolls off. There's a joke Your there. pants? I don't know. I, I didn't know where that joke was going. Uh, a bunch of PBS Kids stuff. Uh, before we kind of get rolled to the end of this, uh, PBS Kids uh, Super Y, which we watch a lot. This is really fun. It teaches kids to read and to spell, and uh, you know, it's a, the, the animation used to annoy me. They also have big heads and big eyes, but I actually think this is really, really great for as a reading tool. I uh, this is Three Billy Goats Gruff. Uh, which my daughter knows very, very well. And uh, to put that into a context with these kids who turn into superheroes and teach you how to read and do this fun little dance, it's great. Uh, Caillou learns to share the latest uh, collection of Caillou episodes, seven stories. Caillou drives us crazy, but apparently they've tested it and found that uh, this Canadian-produced show actually has some kind of uh it, it teaches kids to to learn or something they focus better i don't know there's something about caillou it's just it's so grating caillou freaks me out he's endlessly bald but whatever uh the wild kratz australian adventures uh the wild kratz is uh, another pbs kids show it's okay um you know if your kids know what koalas are then they'll probably enjoy this one we took my daughter to the San Diego Zoo. She saw koalas for the first time, so this had, uh, you know, the whole kangaroo koala thing had a little bit of uh, resonance for her. But otherwise, she doesn't really particularly care for it. Uh, we have four epic classic episodes of Reading Rainbow with LeVar Burton. Uh, okay,
1: wait, no, no, no one cares about that. Okay, read, read off my TV screen, off my TV screen, off my uh, computer screen. What two Amazon Blu-ray purchases are on, their, are on their way to me right now?
0: What? What's on you? Uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation Motion Picture Collection. Right. Okay. Wow. Look at that. Okay. And uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation Complete Seasons One Through Seven. The whole
1: series UK.
0: Yeah. Wow. The UK series because,
1: because it's uh, you know what the the uh, the whole series is not available on Blu-ray. I know. They're in the states
0: they're releasing them just one at a time, like every seven or eight months.
1: But in the UK, nice region free. You get the whole thing. 41 discs. Wow. Next generation complete series. That is on my way to me now. You know well why? why? Because I waste my money on a bunch of crap.
0: There you go. All right. And by re- the way,
1: the Star Trek motion picture collection, the only decent film is First Contact, which is a good film regardless right, of the fact contact. that it's uh, – because you, you know what, you, 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 you like all the Star Trek everybody hates and you hate all the Star Trek everybody likes.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if so, if they put me in charge of the whole franchise at Paramount?
1: You, you know what, you would just become Gene Roddenberry. You would have done Roddenberry's script about going back in time to, uh, to uh, prevent the JFK assassination. He no, wanted to do that for decades.
0: I know. No, you, you know, I would, I would have some really good ideas. But what I would first, what I would do first thing, I would, I would round up all of the best science fiction writers and have them start writing scripts.
1: Well, that, that's, that's what the show did. The original show did that. Yeah, I know.
0: I know. That's what they should do again. Robert Block and David Gerald and Harlan Ellison. For, yeah, for sure, man. Do that. Uh, the last three from PBS Kids. Different uh, Dinosaurs are different. Uh, installation of Dinosaur Train, which uh, is actually really fun. Uh, it's grown on me like fungus. I I kind of enjoy Dinosaur Train now for some stupid nutty reason. It's from the Henson people. Uh, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Would you be mine? Not so much. That's a little too cloying. And then Be My Valentine. Uh, Word World uh, Building Readers is uh, is good, but I still prefer the Super Y. I do for for you know reading now that I'm in this and I see how she responds. Yeah, Super Y is better. And uh, this is great, Uh, a four-volume set from Facets Kids. Facets, you know, is an art house, uh, basically an art house distributor. They release a lot of foreign stuff and docs and uh, real specialty stuff. But they're doing some really interesting stuff with uh, with kids. They've got this four-volume set, Facets Kids. And uh, what this basically is Is um, a way of uh, Teaching your children Helping them sort of div- It's basically very It's, it's, it's a very professionally oriented developmental stuff uh, Volume one is the power of imagination Two is embracing differences Three is family and community Four is overcoming obstacles Really helping parents be able to teach uh, Kids and learn how to develop And connect to the world Without losing touch with being kids And there are Um Essentially, this comes from all over the world. Uh, it's a it's a fascinating concept. What they've done here, they um, they they've gone all over the world, and they've uh, they they find um, these these interesting little films that that sort of speak to these developmental issues. These these short films, basically designed for developmental uh, purposes, from all over the world. So you're you're using like foreign films to teach your children. And you're using them to teach them certain concepts. And there's a lot of, I mean, it, it, every continent is represented here. There's stuff from United Arab Emirates and from Singapore and all over Europe and and even stuff from the United States. And um, it's really great. It's they're 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 cool little movies that you can watch with your kids, and you don't feel like you're watching something that's talking down to your kids or down to you or that's talking up to your kids. It's it's really kind of it's a it's a cool concept. So I think people who want a sophisticated way of kind of Hoaxing their children through a lot of, uh, of of issues and you know developmental issues and who want to be able to do it in a, in a sophisticated kind of art house foreign film way, like I would, I think it's a great thing. So uh, facets kids four volumes, really cool. All right, Mark, let's move into um, what, what do we want to do next? Yeah, I don't know. We got television. We've got uh, your show. Let, let's you do tell new. Me. Let's do new movies. Let's do new, new, new movies. movies. Let's do new movies.
1: Uh, Let's start with – we'll do Steve Jobs in a second, but now let's start with uh, Trumbo. Trumbo uh, Trumbo does the amazing trick of being the story of an amazing screenwriter that is so pedestrianly written that uh, I just think this thing was basically fine. It is breezy and light and pedestrian. And I just felt like this thing did not even remotely honor the fact that Trumbull was one of the best screenwriters of all time.
0: Did you, did you see this movie? I don't like it.
1: You know, I, I, like I just – I feel like everybody's uh, – Brian Cranston, who was nominated for an Oscar because, A, people like him. He's very well liked. But he, to me, he just plays dress up. I just feel this thing yeah. is like – and Jay Roach is just not – the guy's got no depth to him. Jay no. Roach is just an on-the-nose kind of a surface guy.
0: It's like they made this – not because they wanted to probe the man and his contradictions and his his uh, his talents, it's and get inside his head and his his very interesting life. But it's like they made it because they're like, uh, he's a funny guy. He's he's really quippy. He's kind of like the uh, the Hunter S. Thompson of uh, communist screenwriters, communist blacklisted screenwriters. So they so they basically have him do a Hunter S. Thompson impersonation, which is not who Trumba was. And then it, it's a little too polemical. It's a little too uh, on the nose about the Blacklist era and all that, which, frankly, I I think is interesting, An interesting contrast to the new uh, Coen Brothers film, um, Hail Caesar. But that anyway. is true. Anyway.
1: By the way, John Goodman, only yeah. funny thing in it.
0: Yeah. John that Goodman, hilarious.
1: Uh, anyway, Trumbo, uh, not a fan. I am a fan, however, of uh, Steve Jobs. In fact, I, I might be uh, one of the only ones. That's not true. No, I did I I it. I didn't,
0: I didn't love it. I I think it's very theatrical. I was very aware of the fact that the – that but, I, th- but that was the point.
1: I. You know, yeah. and, and all these. Th- look, you. You can't do a movie where uh, Michael Fassbender and Kate Winslet are having a conversation in a hallway, and projected against the hallway are like these images that get yeah. you from one point of time to the next point of time, yeah. Yeah. Al- without knowing that yes, we are doing something theatrical.
0: But it's also it's – also, there was something very – the artifice of it, and for those who don't know, this takes places – what is it, four launches? Four three launches. Three launches, three product launches. So it's, it's essentially three very long, elaborate scene sequences. And there's a little bit of flashback material in it, um, but not much. But for the most part, it's built as three product launches over the lifetime of Apple Computer and Steve Jobs himself. And it, it, the fact that at each one of these launches, the same collection of characters and life issues and conflicts all just kind of collapse on him again—the daughter thing and the and the the Wozniak stuff—and people this criticized and the, the
1: movie for that. But that was the—it's—it's it, it, a play. It's—it's it's just a well, theater that's the play. Thing. That's the thing. That's I, okay.
0: I think people didn't want a theater play, and I, I accept it for what it is. I think it's an interesting writing experiment. I think it. Uh, But I don't think it's the definitive biopic that people were hoping for. That's the. But
1: if people wanted a cradle to grave type story, that is not this. This is very impressionistic. That's
0: it. It's impressionistic. But that's
1: okay. There's nothing wrong with that because again, because Jobs himself had so many contradictions and so many different and conflicts were coming at him from so many different directions, including himself. That really, the, I found that their approach was very interesting.
0: Do you think it's too soon? Because it, it actually made about the same amount of money as the uh, Ashton Kutcher film, which I think is just humiliating. If
1: that is humiliating, you know. Well, because there was a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking after that, and yeah. I guess the idea was that they should have platformed it, yeah. and not just thrown it out there in three thousand theaters. They should have, you know. But I that doesn't it- make that does not make it's beautifully edited. Yeah. It's, it's got a great score. Fassbender is – I'll always wonder what Christian Bale would have done with it. I think Fassbender winds up doing a great impersonation more than he does really embody the man. Yeah. Uh, But otherwise – Look, it's an Aaron Sorkin script. That means that you're going to get just so many juicy one-liners, so much it's I- interesting diving into the guy's psyche. Yeah. You really cannot beat any any. – I'll I'll take the worst Aaron Sorkin script over the best script of anybody
0: else. And don't you think Katherine Waterston is, is becoming one hell of an actress? She's awesome. I mean, she is really yep. – she is killing it. And I mean, she's going
1: to star in um, – she's starring in the uh, Ridley Scott's Alien uh, I know. Prometheus that, that, sequel. That
0: apple fell right next to the tree. I know. That really By did. the way, she's kind of hot. Yeah.
1: She was in Inherent Vice.
0: Yeah, she's great. She's terrific. Yep.
1: Anyway, Steve Jobs. Uh, great looking, um, great looking uh, Blu-ray, and uh, bonus features are okay. There's a feature commentary which is pretty enlightening, and there's a making of piece which was like okay. So I think Steve. I'm hoping that Steve Jobs probably not at some point will get uh, will get reconsidered because I do think it's a terrific film.
0: Yeah, I agree. and a
1: film by the way that only has see, see that still here. I'm, I'm showing something to wait. See that, see that shot there? Yeah. There's only like two exteriors in the entire
0: film. I know, I know. Which I thought was so interesting. Yeah.
1: The whole movie literally is just a bunch of interiors.
0: Yeah. But those, those exteriors open it up in a, in a way that it desperately needed to be opened up.
1: But the thing is that is that one of the exteriors was like the last scene of the film, so it's kind of like it shows yeah. that now his, his his perspective has opened a lot.
0: Yes, very true. I th- I'm glad you read that. You're very <laughs> film-criticky, very film-criticky of you. Uh, we got a thing from Welgo here, a couple other uh, new movies. Uh, Estranged. Which is uh you know this is the people who made insidious and it's uh it's just another one of these relatively well done but uh still kind of predictable uh horror thrillers uh This is about a woman in a wheelchair who's you know got no she com- complete amnesia as to who she was and how she got there and uh nobody nobody's really telling her what the uh, what the real story is and then of course you know over the course of the film everything kind of gets revealed and it's not nearly as interesting as uh, as you were hoping that it might be. Uh the only interesting thing about uh the Jackie Earl Haley directed criminal activities which is not bad by the way. I'm thrilled that Jackie Earl Haley is directing uh and and you know it could not happen to a better and nicer guy. Um it's a uh, you know it, 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 it this is essentially a very small actors piece um about four guys who uh Find out that their um, their business funding came from a from a, a gangster, and you know how that sort of affects them. I mean, it it's a little reservoir dogsy in some respect. Uh, but what the only thing that's really interesting here is that number one, uh, it stars John Travolta, Michael Pitt, and Dan Stevens. Uh, the only thing that's interesting is that number one, Travolta is really good again. Which i I really didn't expect because he's kind of been just phoning it in for a while he's really good again, but the other thing is that Dan Stevens utterly unrecognizable Dan Stevens, who of course, was uh, on the first few seasons of uh, Downton Abbey, totally unrecognizable unrecognizable you
1: know what S- having not seen Downton Abbey, he could walk down the street and would also be unrecognizable to me
0: and of course Michael Pitt i every time I see him, you know my wife worked on a film that Michael Pitt was in, so i was I was exposed daily to the uh the, the drama of a Michael Pitt film, and uh, I just can't see him in a movie anymore without flashing back to all of that. So Michael, anyway.
1: P- M- Michael Pitt, of course, is uh, Brad Pitt's daughter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who would believe that? <laughs> that was just so not fun. Uh, all right, a little, little bit of television action. Um, I'm going to do something horrible and something great. Something horrible is The Brady Kids, the complete animated series. W- what? What? Okay, Mark, I want to just the only thing okay, do you remember the Brady Kids the animated show? Uh vaguely. Okay. The I just want I just want to point out that this is first of all a, apart from being one of the most ridiculous animated shows of all time, ran in the early 70s for just one season, 22 episodes. Um it, truly insane. The the, the the what they basically do is they take the the kids from the Brady Bunch and they have them actually do their own voices in this weird kind of Josie and the Pussycats uh filmation kind of uh, animated show that was just so misbegotten it, it 's absolutely beyond belief, but what I find fascinating is how they expect this thing to actually generate any kind of nostalgia with the artwork that they have on the cover. They basically show them playing like a band, so they look it looks like something from the Archies or Josie and the pussycats or you know or or the, the like an animated partridge family. But, Mark, what is dancing with them as they play? What, what, what do we have on the cover of this?
1: Oh, pandas. Two
0: panda bears and a monkey.
1: They're so dumb.
0: That is so surreal. That's like the best. That's the kind of thing that would give Salvador Dali a stroke. Just surreal, <laughs> oh. dancing pandas. We saw, we saw pandas when we went to the uh, San Diego Zoo. They're really hard to see because they, they, they hide.
1: Yeah, and, you know why? Because they're 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 at the San Diego Zoo instead of living out in the well, where the they them, live?
0: They breed them there. They're Aww, trying to help them, pa- you know, survive. Sweet, and sweet then, panda sex. And then uh, Twelve Monkeys season one, which I cannot recommend highly enough. Uh, the, the I know a lot of people are like, oh, Twelve Monkeys. How do you turn into a show? You know what? It's a great show. Absolutely fantastic show. I am of course incredibly biased because the uh, the showrunner for this uh, season, who has since moved on to a new show, which we will cover when uh, when the time comes, but, but the showrunner for this show, uh, Natalie Chides, uh formerly a writer on a lot of great shows like New York Undercover and Heroes and, and many others. And Natalie, also one of my very oldest and dearest friends. Um, uh, we went to film school together and uh, actually the first person that I met in the bullpen when we were editing our, our film projects. And I am, I am so elated for her success. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a long time coming. So, uh, you know, 12 Monkeys is, if you want to support women, great women showrunners, this is the way to do it. Um, because you, there's nothing about this show that says, that, that you know, this is basically a woman overseeing it. Nothing. It's just a great show from a great writer, and she really paid her dues, and I'm so happy for it. So, um, anyway, uh, 12 Monkeys Season 1 really uh, compares very favorably to the film. Takes you know opens up the world in uh, in really just incredibly compelling ways. Does things that uh, post apocalyptic TV shows really do not do, and uh, it takes chances, which is all I ever really ask of a TV show. Some great bonus features here: deleted scenes and a gag reel, a cast auditions, a lot of a lot of stuff. It really uh, it goes it goes long and deep, and uh, it is worth watching. A lot of actors in this cast are going to go on to bigger and better things. So. 12 Monkeys, Season 1, uh, Blu-ray, and Ultraviolet on this set. You can watch it anywhere, anytime.
1: Uh, the Beast is a show from uh, 2009 that uh, starred Patrick Swayze. And you know what? It's such a tragedy, obviously, that Swayze passed away at all. But uh, the thing is, if you look at something like The Beast, which kind of came and went, um, you realize that uh, the show, which is now on DVD, complete series, is uh, shows how if Swayze had survived... Um, he would have gone on to do much better things than when he was younger. Cause when he was younger, he was a super handsome guy who could dance and dirty dancing and whatnot. But when he was getting older and doing stuff like the beast, you realize that he was getting some lines in his face. His hair was getting a little bit gray. You know, there's some wrinkles going on there and he was becoming more interesting. You know, like, a, true. like a lot of these yeah. uh, young hunky actors, when they get older, they get more interesting. And I think here, you definitely got that in, uh, in the beast in which he plays an FBI agent and, um, He's uh, he's he's got to train this rookie partner, uh, whose last name is Dove, which is just ridiculous. Because <laughs> his name is Ellis Dove. Because it's Dove. Because he's like the he's the, he's the innocent one.
0: At least his first name isn't Dove, and his middle name isn't SS, and his last name isn't Simmons. You know, be I be grateful. I, be grateful for that.
1: Be, I I rue the day that I think I because th- I, I you know I took his class. I know. And they get, and he gave you this big. I know. Mimi a long time ago like mimeograph xeroxed, you know, textbook. It was yeah. the Dove SS Simmons Filmmaking School mm-hmm. and it had a it had a yellow cover. It was all just, you know, paper texting and whatever. And uh, uh I had it and I threw it away. Anyway, so uh a Dove is a uh, he might be a double agent. He's got he's got to keep an eye on on um, on Patrick Swayze because he might be a bad guy. Anyway, um the beast, you know, there's been a million shows like this, but if you want to see where Patrick Swayze's career was headed, which is more in way more interesting directions, you might want to check out the beast. Um now there's also a uh, a show, a a, a mini series called uh, Saints and Strangers which really kind of came out of nowhere. And it's really good. It's a uh, it's about the uh, Mayflower and uh, the settling of the uh, uh the Mayflower settlers and the first Thanksgiving. What I liked about this is that it it sort of focused equally on the pilgrims and the Native American tribes, and so it treated both with respect. I thought this is pretty well shot, considering um, there's a lot of political infighting and diplomacy, and there's you know a little bit of uh, the ultra violence, which is always kind of kind of perks you up, keeps you keeps you paying attention. And um, I think it's good. It's a good show. It's got an okay cast, includes Natasha McElhone, who had a moment there, like in the. 10, 15 years ago, and Ron Livingston, for some reason, I cannot accept him as, like, you know, some Mayflower settler. Mm -hmm. He's just too funny to me. He's too off his (laughs) face to be accepted as a Mayflower settler. But um, that said, you know what? National Geographic, you know, they don't really do this stuff all that that often, but uh, they really kind of did a really good job. I give this, like, a really solid uh, triple called Saints and Strangers. And uh, there's some deleted scenes. Is the only special feature, which is like not even really worth uh, checking out. But uh, anyway, it's a good cast. The, it's drama done with intelligence. They don't downplay the difficulties. They don't downplay the – they're not politically correct. And so it's a pretty good show. I was very surprised. Saints and Strangers. Also, for some reason, we have the complete series of Bump in the Night. Now, Bump in the Night is a uh, stop-motion animated show. And uh, you know I will always give stop-motion animation the benefit of the doubt because I think it's a, uh, it's a great art. Very difficult, painstaking art. If you've seen Anomalisa, you can see where stop-motion animation can be taken to really artistic realms. But until then, we have Bump in the Night, which is like whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, Rob Paulson is the um, main voice. The guy was in uh, Animaniacs from You Children of the 90s. You'll know what that's about. So uh, Bump of the Night is like whatever. But if you love stop-motion, stop you know what? Uh, you can show it to your kids.
0: All right, so uh, we got a couple from HBO here, a couple series that are they're both doing really well, and I can't say that I love either of them, but I, you know what? I'm not the audience for either of them. Uh, Girls, the complete fourth season uh, on Blu-ray here and digital HD. I, it's just this show is so insufferable to me. It's like uh, let's do Sex in the City with 20-something women who have much less interesting lives and far less money and who are not really very bright. And that's really what this is. Oh, and a lot more nudity of people who really have no business taking their clothes off. I just don't I don't know. I don't I don't get it. But you know what? Lena Dunham has clearly she's got talent, she's touched a nerve. She's become like a pop culture thing, so thanks I, to us, by the way. I know we gave her a uh, new generation new generation so for tiny furniture, which she shot on a on a, uh, a, a, a Canon HDSLR. Is that right? Yeah so uh anyway the you know i it 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 it, adam driver may be the only thing that really significantly broke out of this show because now he's the bad guy in star wars and uh that would not have happened if not for this show so um you know it's it's done something but anyway this is the uh this is trying to make the show grow up a little bit in its fourth season jobs and relationships and yada yada the usual i mean it's it's the same shtick i i kind of feel like this show is really about to run its course um First season of Togetherness, kind of similarly angsty, except this is dealing more with people as they're, uh, you know, aging and getting into their 40s. And uh, it's a good cast. This is from the Duplass brothers, which is why uh, one of them, Mark Duplass, actually stars in the show. It's about a couple, Mark Duplass and uh, Melanie Linsky, who are, you know, they're they're. Kind of closing in on 40 and life and family and kids. It's just really, really difficult. And then adding insult to injury, a buddy of uh, uh, a buddy of his moves in with them, played by Steve Zissis, and then her sister, played by Amanda Peet, also moves in with them, and it just creates all kinds of weird conflicts under one roof, which are very typically Duplass, which is you know people in close quarters doing all kinds of talky, low budgety grainy drama angsty stuff and uh you know it's uh, it's very Duplass uh but obviously it's got a little bit of a following hbo wouldn't have uh, greenlit it otherwise so togetherness season 1 if you like the Duplos brothers you'll probably love this it's very i good. like
1: the Duplos brothers even like... though you hate all that mumblecore stuff I which they've since basically graduated from but yeah, still
0: this isn't this isn't really mumblecore it's uh it's but it still has their whole vibe you know anyway um, all right, Mark, let's uh, – you know what? Let's do some – let's go through some classic films. Um, there's a – we have a couple of great criterions this week. I mean amazing criterions, and you got to get them. you just got to get them. Um, the, well, actually, there's three total. One of them is uh, is not a foreign film. The other two are foreign films. So I – actually, I was going to hold on to these for the foreign segment, but I'll do it all right now. Uh, they've been slowly releasing all of the uh, Chaplin stuff, uh, bit by bit by bit, and uh, because the you know the, all the Chaplin stuff is French owned, I don't know if anybody knew that, but Marin Carmitz, the French producer, who whose company is MK Two, which does a lot of great French films, they own the Chaplin library basically, and they licensed it to Warner Brothers years ago for that complete Chaplin series, which was fine. You know these are the, the these are like the Chaplin feature films. And uh, that stuff was great. I mean, it had a lot of great extras, but not Blu-ray. Now, the Blu-rays are all coming out through Criterion. Uh, MK2 has, has done that. And they have finally released the one that we've been waiting for, The Kid, with Jackie Coogan, looking absolutely, just ridiculously cute and sympathetic. Uh, Jackie Coogan would go on to be not a very cute adult actor, but Chaplin and Coogan together in The Kid is one of the great pairings of all times. I mean, it's, you're talking about an iconic figure, the little tramp, Chaplin's little tramp, who allows himself happily and willingly to be upstaged by this, this little kid, this little Depression-era-looking kid. And it's just it's one of the most magical films of all time. Um, it might be, I mean, I have to really think about it, but it might be my second favorite Chaplin film next to City Lights. And it's very, it's very similar in many respects. This is an absolutely wonderful, wonderful Blu-ray. Uh, tons of, uh, of great uh, extras here. You get both versions of the film, by the way. It was changed and tweaked for its 1972 re-release. And that is on here along with the original 1921 version. Uh, the transfer is just spectacular. There's a great commentary with uh, Chaplain historian Charles Milland, which is, is a must-listen to at least several times. There's a video essay on, um, on Jackie Coogan and uh, tons of other interviews and, uh, and deleted scene stuff. I mean, it just, it's, a, it's a wealth of, of material. There's even footage of Chaplin uh, conducting his own score which is wonderful. So uh, you just, it just doesn't get any better. This is absolutely wonderful. Any chaplain completist would be crazy to not pick this up. The other two Criterion titles are uh, Nagisa Oshima's Death by Hanging, which uh, continues Criterion's tradition of releasing really unbelievably great uh, Japanese New Wave movies. This is from 1968. Uh, one of the most uh, influential of the Japanese New Wave films. It is a, just a devastating political satire. Uh, that deals with the uh, with the tensions between Korea and Japan, basically about a Korean guy who survives an execution in Japan, and uh, in, in turn there's this, just this insane political argument over how to manage it. Uh, it is it is a, it is really a, a brutal and powerful film, especially if you're Japanese or Korean. It it just it's 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 a it's a sledgehammer. And then I think the best of the week. This is my pick of the week. I've been waiting for this for years. Jan Troll, who is still alive, the great Swedish filmmaker. Jan Troll, who still makes movies. Every few years, he'll come out with some cool little meditative thing starring Max von Sydow. But his masterpieces are the two films, The Emigrants and The New Land. They are absolute masterpieces. Uh, Together, they constitute about five, six almost seven hours of movie It's it's it, this is great stuff, this is like six and a half hours of just awesome, awesome Swedish drama, just, they've come to the United States to be farmers and they it's just, it's 19th century hell and uh, it, it just, uh, they just fight through it and it is wonderful, Max von Sydow and Liev Ullmann have never been better these are some of the greatest films ever made, ever made, some of the best performances ever, some of the best directing ever all on one fantastic Blu-ray edition, uh, "The Emigrants" and "The New Land." It, it, it's so beautifully photographed. You're just gonna—you you will weep from beginning frame to end frame. It, it just—it's—it's it's beyond belief how good these films are. Uh, I've been waiting for these for years. There's tons of great stuff on here. There's a great conversation between jan Troll and Peter Cowie, who's done a lot of commentaries for Criterion, and uh, that's relatively new. There's also a new interview with Liv Ullman and uh, some fantastic uh, documentary stuff on the making of the films, which is mind-boggling. Uh, it, you, you wind up being so, so much more impressed, but watch that stuff after you've seen the films. So that said, there you go, The Emigrants in the New Land by Jan Troll, Uh long, long overdue, finally on Blu-ray. I'm probably going to sit down and watch the entire six-and-a-half, some-odd-hour uh, thing maybe four or five times over the next week. Four or I'm five
1: do. times over the next week Yeah you, you, You'll watch a six hour film five times Yeah I'll do it All six hours of it Yeah Not even like by the fifth time You use oh, fast you know, forward I'll, to your favorite scenes Or I'll, just
0: watch the whole thing again I'll stop to feed my daughter and you know, I don't think you should even do that No maybe not She'll appreciate it one day She will She'll suffer for my art Or for Jan Troll's art
1: Well yeah well yeah, She won't suffer Because the city will take your daughter <laughs> away from you And <laughs> give her to an actual family Okay so uh, Wait here's the thing Yeah When you're young, you like stupid movies. They Uh, seem really cool, but then when you grow up, they're just just the worst. (laughs) When I was a kid, I thought the car was the greatest movie I'd ever seen in the history of the world. It's about a car possessed by the devil. Nice. And uh, it's not done out of uh, irony or or humor. It is literally, it's James Brolin, plays a small-town sheriff, and uh, a car who, by the way, used to honk its horn like this. So whenever you hear that horn, (laughs) the car was coming.
0: You know what the car was. It was a Lincoln Continental, but it was tricked out. It was all – So tricked of, out. It was, it was awesome. It was, yeah. And I, have a, I have a story about this, but finish up.
1: So the car, which I absolutely loved, especially – for some reason, I thought that the guy at the, begin, at the at the opening scene who was hitchhiking, who had the tuba yeah. – for some reason, I had it in my head that was Billy Crystal, but uh, it is not. Anyway, so uh, the car is basically Jaws with the car, and I loved this film when I was a kid, and then I rewatched it, and it's terrible. But uh, I do like it because it is nostalgia city for someone like myself. So the car, especially, you know what, it's it's a, it's a chef, a screen factory did a good job with the uh, Blu-ray. New interviews with uh, the director, Elliot Silverstein, and a couple of the actors, uh, TV spots, radio spots, stills galleries are always uh, useless. But um, I love the car. If you want to see just, I mean, look, 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 look at the girl on the, on the cover art, yeah. look, 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 look at the girl in the corner. <laughs> it looks like a mad magazine uh, illustration. So, I'm sorry, I think this movie's awesome except the fact that it sucks.
0: So, here here's my story on the car. I uh I, the first time when I was a kid, the first time I ever took the uh, Universal Studios tour was when they were posting the car. It was right when the thing was being finished. And I still remember to this day the only thing that I remember about that idiotic tour Was that there was a point at which our tour guide, and I guess back then the scripts were not as uh, structured and not as firm, you know, you now pretty much those guys, you have to memorize every single joke and twist and turn in that stupid tour guide script. Um, But at the time... Uh, they had a little more latitude to just kind of go, you know, off the reservation. And I remember the guy, the guy, he was taking us on the tour and he goes, and this hill over here, this is, well, there's a movie coming up that they just finished shooting called The Car. It's about a car possessed by the devil. And this is where the car goes off the edge and in the end you see the devil's face in the flames. I know, it's awesome. And, yeah, and it's hysterical. And and he's telling us this and he's like, Ew. and, and you, could, you could tell he recently saw it as an employee of Universal and thoroughly hated it. And here he is bad-mouthing this studio's film on the tour i thought it was hysterical and i was a kid and i remember thinking should you be doing this this is probably not the right thing anyway
1: well you know what that man had no taste in movies because yeah. the yeah. car is awesome <laughs> anyway speaking of awesome the completely forgotten yet needs to be rediscovered no way out this is one of the best thrillers of the 70s this is the movie that uh, really established kevin costner as a leading man it also includes uh, gene hackman who of course is my all-time favorite actor in the whole world and uh, the crazy, wacky Sean Young. And Will Patton, who was a big actor back then in the 80s and 90s. Love him. Maurice Jarre. It's one of Maurice Jarre's uh, uh, only synth scores that I can actually handle because I love Maurice Jarre when he does orchestral. I hate Maurice Jarre when he does uh, synth stuff. But this is Roger Donaldson, by far his best film. I think this thing is great. It's a Cold War film, so it might seem a little bit dated, but it's got a great twist at You, the you, end, don't,
0: you don't like the synth score for uh, Witness? Pretty great. Yeah, I guess I do. Yeah.
1: Come on, give it up. Uh, you have to admit that. Come on, Mar- Jar's uh, orchestral scores were all great. but oh, yeah. When, oh, yeah, when when he did like do Dreamscape or all those like yeah. synth scores, they're just terrible. Yeah, they all, and they all sound interchangeable.
0: Yeah, true.
1: Anyway, I think this film was great. Uh, it's got an audio commentary with uh, Roger Donaldson. The transfer is okay. It's uh, fine. Uh, Shot Factory again uh, doing the best they can. I don't know what elements they use, but uh, the transfer is fine. The audio commentary is good that's the only that's the only um extra here but no way out is a great thriller it's one of my favorite thrills of the 80s and uh it's you know what it's just a little bit pulpy a little bit noirish but yet it's just a lot of fun and uh it's very intense and i do highly recommend no way out and we also have um we also have my science project now my science project that was a movie from the mid 80s and it was one of those like you know back to the future type rip off movies Got a lot of these when, uh, back in the day, like, it was the one with Kelly LeBrock? Like, you know. The, the,
0: oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um
1: uh, was the one with Kelly LeBrock? It was uh, yeah. two words. Yeah. Don't stop the recording. Two words. Uh, Probably like uh, science buddies or something. Uh, or... Yeah, yeah. Weird science.
0: Weird science, thank you. I was going to say bite me, but that's. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's what it was. it was called, bite me. Yeah. yeah they're
1: very, they're very, they're weird good. science. That's a good word. Uh, anyway, my science project, not that great. It does uh, feature. They, they, uh, they, is, yeah. There was also
0: Real Genius with Val Kilmer. Yes. That's why I always get confused because there's like my science project and Real Genius and Weird uh, Science. And, weird science. and the, the two had science and the one had genius, and it got very confusing.
1: It was, it, it was all about like high school students who get into yeah. like these weird technological hijinks. Yeah. And this one has this kid played by uh, John Stockwell. He's, if if he does not come up with a science project, his teacher, played by Dennis Hopper, is going to flunk him. So he winds up going into like some like uh, military based junkyard and winds up with some crazy gizmo that, you know, like yeah. changes the world and yeah. uh, bends time and destroys things <laughs> and whatever. And uh, this is just a really silly, you know, mid 80s, cheesy. Kind of funny in a stupid way. Comedies, my science project. Yeah, you know, your parents probably saw this when it came yeah. out. Uh, the Guardian is, uh, you know, look William Friedkin. He is a great director. He directed some amazing films. The guy he directed a, uh, you know, best picture Oscar winner. Can't beat that. By the way, that's The French Connection. Um, but uh, The Guardian, he was starting to slip a little bit. This is from 1990, and it's about this uh, this couple. And they have this live-in babysitter, but it turns out, of course, the you know the babysitter is uh, really freaky. Stars a uh, Carrie Lowell, who uh, famously had a very long relationship with Richard Gere, and uh, Jenny Seagrove, and uh, a couple other people. It's okay, uh, the Guardian. You know, look, um, Freakin can definitely turn the screws if you give this material to somebody else. It'd be way easier. But I just think this is one of uh, Freakin's lesser efforts. And uh, David Keith and Kathy Moriarty star in uh, White of the Eye. I could not get through all of this because it's really uh, not that great. Anyway, so uh, Kathy Moriarty plays this uh, woman. She's uh, a twisted killer on the loose in Arizona, and he tortures and dissects uh, all the oh, victims. Oh, that's enough. Thank you. And,
0: <laughs> yeah, enough.
1: And enough. this is just uh, this is just silly stuff. Although I have to say the Scream Factory, as is their want, they did a great job on the Blu-ray. There's a... New high-definition transfer, but again, this is an old film, so uh, this is not quite something that uh, is going to really benefit from uh, the Blu-ray treatment, but uh, you do have that, and you've got uh, audio commentary from uh, David, Cam- he's the director, I don't know if it's Cam- Camel or Camel, yeah. and an uh, interview with the Steadicam operator, which <laughs> is just really weird. Because, look, there were some... Good shots in this thing, you know, some good exciting thrillery type shots. But not, enough for, shots, not but, enough for the Steadicam. But it is weird. Like I've never seen this on the back of a DVD box. Interview with Cam operator Larry McConkie. Weird. God love him, but again, okay. not really worth the effort.
0: All right. Uh, so so uh, here, here's a here's some interesting stuff. First of all, there's a uh, there's a really weird six film collection, Tales from the Prison Yard, uh, that Mill Creek has released. And uh, this is it's so this is so odd to me that they would even do this. I, I guess. I mean, these compilation multi-film collections are – I guess that there's some kind of science to it. But anyway, they went and they, and they clearly said, why don't – you know, we got a bunch of movies that nobody's ever going to want to watch. Why don't we throw The Last Detail on there, which is a real movie with Jack Nicholson and uh, absolutely legitimate and, you know, directed by Hal Ashby. It's a fantastic movie. Why don't we throw that on there and then just tack on five other movies that nobody would ever even think to watch ever in, in their lives? And these are the other films. The Valachi Papers uh, with uh, Charles Bronson, which is, you know, it's a mafia thing, uh, but totally forgotten. And then the others are just, why even bother? Uh, There's City of Fear, Escape from San Quentin, uh, Cell 2455, Death Row, and Convicted. And Convicted, you know, it's not terrible. It's got Broderick Crawford and Glenn Ford in it, uh, directed by Henry Levin, who was, you know, a good kind of programmer guy back in the day. But it, it just, otherwise, this is just well, why don't I just get the last detail and forget about the other five? Uh, you know, you've got to price this right. Anyway, so that's a little, uh, that's one of those multi-film deals. And then we've got uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, exploitation films, The Brain That Wouldn't Die from Scream Factory, the division of Shout Factory. The Brain That Wouldn't Die was one of the movies that we focused on when uh, Ray Green and I did our, our little documentary, Schlock, The Secret History of American Movies, a million years ago. Uh, the Brain That Wouldn't Die is a a essentially kind of a Frankenstein Frankenstein ish movie, but it's one of the the legendary uh, exploitation films of all time because it was made for next to no money, and it deals with a lot of themes that sort of link the Frankenstein. 1930s period to what's going on in the 50s and 60s the post-nuclear thing and all of the other uh, exploitation horror stuff that's happening in the in the 60s in particular uh basically what happens is that this guy he's a you know your usual mad scientist guy his um his his girlfriend uh would have otherwise died in a car accident but he will not give up so he he takes her head which has been you know sliced off in the accident and he keeps her alive he keeps her head alive so that he can go find a new body for her and he's out and he and he becomes kind of a psychopath as he goes out to try to you know kill the perfect girl whose body will become the new body for his 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 beloved by the
1: way, just watch the Mystery Science Theater version. of It's the a it's little bit. Better.
0: Eyes Without a Face, the, the famous French film, is similar in that respect. You know, Mad Scientist who, who's trying to get a, a new face for his, uh, for his uh, disfigured daughter. Um, this is not an, a, a new theme. This has been around forever. But there's a, the way that it's treated here is really, really fascinating. And uh, it speaks to a lot of interesting zeitgeist social trends in the 1960s. It's a great, great film. Uh, really, really fascinating. And, uh, you know, one of the most interesting of the American international AIP, uh, Sam Markov produced films of the era. So, uh, The Brain That Wouldn't Die and a beautiful, beautiful new transfer onto Blu-ray from Scream Factory, courtesy of a license from MGM. So thank you, MGM, for letting loose and letting the Scream Factory, Shout Factory people, just go to town on this. And then uh, from the exploitation... To uh, black exploitation, We've got some uh, great black exploitation films from two different companies oh, yeah. this week. Uh, one of them from Arrow, uh, Pam Greer in Sheba Baby. This is one of the, uh, the, these new hybrid DVD, Blu ray, amazingly well done Arrow releases. Tons and tons of special features here, like on a criterion level, um, you know, audio commentary with the screenwriter, uh, audio commentary with the, the webmaster of WilliamGirdler.com. A uh, new interview with David Sheldon, the screenwriter. It's really, really interesting. Um, William Girdler, of course, is the director of the film, and this was uh, this came on the heels of uh, Coffee and Foxy Brown. This was Pam Greer's uh, real. This is her really just saying, "I'm now. I'm really here to stay. I am not a flash in the pan." And she's a she plays a she's basically playing a, a female Shaft. She's a, a, a private eye in Chicago. And uh, it, this is one of the most popular black exploitation films of all time. Sheba Baby is really, really, really good. It is uh, it is sharp, it is well-written, and Pam Greer is to die for in this movie. On the male end of things, we have a couple from Olive, uh, Fred Williamson, and uh, Jim Brown. Fred Williamson, in, of course, in Black Caesar, which is uh, a, a, uh, a probably one of the most iconic Larry Cohen films of the day. You know, Larry Cohen... Uh, really wrote and directed a lot of this stuff and uh you know kind of interesting this this sort of really lovably schlubby jewish guy wrote and directed all these black exploitation films but black caesar is sort of scarface you know with uh fred williamson and uh you know a black guy basically coming up from the, the bottom and becoming big boss and a uh, big gangster and uh it's uh, it all sort of you know it's got some really really interesting overtones about the racial politics of the era and uh, it's you know the, the the scene where he drives the car down the sidewalk pretty great especially for the day and with such a small uh, such a small um, a budget and of course an amazing uh, score by of James Brown music it's just it's it's beyond belief how great it is Slaughter stars Jim Brown. And uh, has one of the all-time great taglines, which I'm so thrilled that they actually put onto the cover of the Blu-ray. Mark, read the tagline. It says, Jim Brown, slaughter. What's the tagline? My glasses.
1: It's not only his name, it's his business. (laughs)
0: That's so awesome. Uh, anyway, the, uh, this is directed by Jack Starrett, who also did Cleopatra Jones, and uh, Jim Brown plays a, um, a former uh, Vietnam Green Beret captain who uh, is out for vengeance. He's, his parents were killed by this, uh, this uh, mobster played by Rip Torn, and he's out to unleash hell on Rip Torn. And it's great. Rip Torn is just perfect for something like this. You know, Rip Torn—he's uh, re- always been kind of a larger-than-life. To been a larger-than-life actor for a long time, and uh, you know, he's he still did, around,
1: right? He's he even- did a lot.
0: Of, well, he, you know, he's the one that takes this away from just being kind of a, a an exploitation film. He really gives it a, an added amount of punch. So it's really that's a lot of fun.
1: Rip Torn is eighty-five years old. He's still around.
0: Yeah, and he still hasn't doesn't have an Oscar. And, uh, you know what, we got a ton of uh, Olive titles here that I want to go through. Um, there, a lot of this is really worth talking about. Um, but this is, you know, Olive uh, releases, uh, they license a lot of stuff from 20th and uh, and MGM and other, uh, other libraries. And this is stuff that has never been on Blu-ray before. And, it, you know, there's some great kind of cult and fringe stuff here. And you should really seek this out. Olive does a wonderful, wonderful job with this. Uh, John Malkovich and Anne Magnuson in Making Mr. Right, as long as we're speaking about the uh, you know brain that wouldn't die and Frankenstein-y things. This is just a really cool Susan Seidelman uh, movie from the 1980s that uh, doesn't get enough c- uh, credit, really. Uh, Malkovich, in one of his most interesting uh, roles ever, is this weird eccentric scientist who has to build a robot uh, astronaut, and um, it winds up becoming this weird kind of Pygmalion-ish, uh, endeavor for him and it's really an interesting allegory and uh, you know it gets in all of those things that robot movies usually do where does the human end and the mechanical begin but it's a gr- great performances by Ann Magnuson who whatever happened to her I know and Malkovich uh, Billy Crystal's homage to the great Borst Belt comics of yesteryear he directed this and he wrote it and he stars in it Mr. Saturday Night which is also a film that I don't think gets enough credit uh, it's got a little bit of uh, horrible latex old age work later on in the movie, but um, really wonderful, uh, wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, and of course, uh, you know, the um, he, he wrote this along with Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, who were doing everything at that time. They were just the, the the screenwriting duo, you know, like the dream. I don't know where they went either. But um, it's really, really great. I, I think this film has a wonderful nostalgic soul, and uh, these guys just don't exist anymore. That whole Borscht Belt era, it's gone. Romance and Cigarettes, uh, directed by John Turturro, with a great cast, uh, Susan Sarandon, Kate Winslet, James Gandolfini. John Turturro, really an inter- a much more interesting director than anybody's ever given him credit for. He wrote and directed this. And uh, he he really has you know he he pushes the envelopes it is or the envelope I should say uh, really a kind of an unusual kind of quasi musical drama um, it just it it's it's just his it's just him getting you know his demons out and all of his weird imagination and, and onto the screen and uh, I just hope he directs more because I I miss that uh, Smooth Talk got a lot of controversy at the time. Uh, Treat Williams and Laura Dern uh, in a movie that that touched on some, you know, I don't know if this would. Do you remember the, the, the controversy over this when this was this was like a really big deal because it dealt with uh, sort of pedophilia, child molestation issues, and people were very very uncomfortable about it. And I'm not sure this would be that big of a deal anymore. No, I wouldn't. mean the issues are still the issues, but I think sure. in, the, in the wake of something like Spotlight, that it it, it, it you can sort of tackle these subjects without. People squirming in their seats anymore.
1: I, I think something like this movie would seem tame.
0: Yeah, probably. Well, anyway, because again, it was
1: it was low budget and it, it wasn't. Was. You know,
0: based on a short story by Joyce Carol Oates, uh, directed by Joyce Chopra. I don't know where she, where she's gone. That's just weird. Anyway, uh, but it's uh, you know, it's certainly um, it, it's a let's say let me put it this way. It's not as good as Kubrick's Lolita, but it's a similar story that is a better version of Lolita than the remake of Lolita, which Adrian Lyne totally bonked. Mad Dog Time, oh my gosh. Mark, did you ever see Mad Dog Time? I did. Oh my gosh. This is the most weird, fringy, eccentric, unusual movie. And I remember thinking at the time, I hate this movie. And yet at the same time, I kind of like it. Yeah, come on. Give it up. It's um, here. Here's the deal. Great cast. Uh, I mean, everybody is in this movie. And you look at this and you go, Ellen Barkin, Gabriel Byrne, Jeff Goldblum, Diane Lane, Richard Dreyfuss – Who's this guy directing them, this Larry Bishop? What are they doing in this movie by Larry? I've never heard of Larry Bishop. And then you research a little and you go, oh, Joey Bishop's kid. That's what it is. It's a whole kind of inherited Rat Pack deal. And that's why you wind up with certain people from the Rat Pack era who show up in the film. And, uh, and there's a number of those kinds of uh, you know, rat-packy cameos in here, and you go, I get it. Okay, so now it makes sense. Anyway, this thing t- is basically a kind of a gangster comedy that takes place in an alternate universe, which it states from the outset that it doesn't take place in our world or our universe. It's very weird. But um,
1: no. But the thing is that is that in the movie, someone's about to be released from, the, from a mental hospital. Yes. So that already sets your expectations. True. That this yes. is going to be a weird little... Spoon.
0: Yes, well, it, Richard Dreyfuss—he's a—he he comes out of a you know a, a, a mental hospital and goes back to his uh, his gangster world to take back you know power from those who took it from him. Uh, and it's you know Jeff Goldblum is great and Diane Lane is great and I mean it, Richard Dreyfuss is a lot of fun, but it's really off the wall. It's really very fringy and weird. And uh, written and directed by Larry Bishop, who has not done anything of any note since. But it's you know there it is. Uh, prick up your ears. Absolute must-see film. Prick Up Your Ears is an amazing movie, uh, directed by Stephen Frears back in 1987, and it is basically the true story of the uh, the relationship between uh, playwright Joe Orton, played by Gary Oldman, and um, his uh, his his mentor, uh, played by Alfred Molina. And it's it's not a comfortable story. I mean, it's a it's a, a really turbulent, turbulent, rough watch and uh frears just directs the daylights out of this this is back when he was making those grittier films like you know uh, my beautiful andrette and sammy and rosie get laid and uh he he really he just kills it here it's just a beautifully beautifully told story but with all kinds of really difficult rough edges and uh it's uh it's absolute must-have on blu-ray if you are any kind of a frears completist or if you love alfred molina and gary oldman who just both absolutely rip it up in there uh, Eight Men Out is on Blu-ray. In case you didn't know that, this is one of um, one of John Sayles' best films ever. The story of the uh, White Sox scandal with a great cast that uh, includes uh, John Cusack and Charlie Sheen and Christopher Lloyd and and David Strathern and DB Sweeney. All of them doing some of their best work ever. It is a it is a. This is back when John Sayles was making great movies every single year. And uh, it's I, a lot of people think this is the best baseball movie ever made. I don't know, Mark, how do you feel about Eight Men Out? You I love Eight Men Out. Guy? It's
1: one of the best films made about baseball.
0: There you go. It's a,
1: it is a, it's a movie about a national tragedy, and uh, it's got a great cast. This is back when John Sayles was in his complete heyday, I and mean, he's lost it now. I don't know what the hell this guy's doing. He's out of his mind. Now, what, but I, what uh, back I, then he was great.
0: What I love about this is this is he, he takes something that's a very academic narrative and he manages to sort of elevate each and every individual character and sort of carry the whole. I mean, it's a very complicated story. It, it's almost, it, it warrants a documentary, but somehow he makes, he really personalizes all these relationships and all these issues. And, and part
1: of the Shoeless
0: Joe, and it's it's really great.
1: Well, part of the tra- tragedy is that the, a lot of these guys were really uneducated. Shoeless Joe could not even sign his name. He, I know. He, he signed his name. In, with...
0: in the film, it's an X when they ask him to sign. Yes. He signs it with an X. I mean, it's really. So you really... really feel bad for some of these guys, yeah. you know? They yeah. were
1: really, some, some of them, yes, some of them were corrupt and they wanted the money and whatnot, but some of them were just, they were just, they were just. Yeah. Uh, they just wound up just going along with what the other guys were doing because they were so uneducated.
0: Yep, yep. And then Impromptu was another movie that I was particularly fond of. James Lapine, the uh, uh, stage director, uh, did a. This is a 1991 film. It was one of the last uh, kind of. It was part of the right near the end of the Orion moment. You know when they were winning Best Pictures and Dances with Wolves and. Uh, uh, yeah,
1: Dances with which, with Wolves, which won it over Goodfellas. Yeah, well, Dance why with, is that?
0: I don't know. But then they also, you know, Signs of the Lambs was an Orion film. I mean, they were, they were, they were Can it I say
1: that Signs of the Lambs is a great film, except well, for the end?
0: Impromptu is the story of the relationship. <laughs> Wade's well, not listening. To no, it. I'm not. Uh, impromptu is the story of the relationship between the composer Chopin and uh the uh famous uh, uh writer who we often think was a man if you if you just look at the name but George Sand was in fact a woman and George Sand here is played by uh, Judy Davis George Sand was a, you know i mean you know, lived up to the the male name because she was very much a tomboy. rode horses and pants and smoked cigars and the whole thing. She rode but, pants, but she was madly in love with Chopin, who is here played by Hugh Grant, who doesn't do a very good French accent, but he he's otherwise memorable. Um, but it's a it's a great story. It deserves to be told better and told and told again, uh, frankly. But uh, Judy Davis and Hugh Grant are still a. There's a great chemistry here. Julian Sands even shows up to kind of you know round it out because he was like the, the kooky British actor for uh, for a moment there in the 1980s and 90s. Here he plays uh, Liszt, Franz Liszt, and he does it beautifully because Liszt was like the dude at the time as far as composers. And uh, you know so that's, that's a nice little thing. Jenny Bevan, the great costume designer, does a killer job. Emma Thompson also shows up a little bit in this thing. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good film from the early 90s and uh, well worth rediscovering. And then a movie that a friend of ours actually was an executive producer on, and I'm not going to say anything else about it, but Heartbreakers with Sigourney Weaver, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and Gene Hackman is not a very good movie, but Gene Hackman is a riot in this movie. He is absolutely hilarious. You know who I'm talking about who executive produced this movie? Oh no. right? you really you don't you don't do not. you do not know that you know an executive producer on this movie here i'm going to out i'm going to point out the name on the back
1: my glasses on um. Really? <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> How did she wind up on that? Well, what has she done since? By the way, uh, let's see. Let's 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 Google her.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to go any further. Anyway, um, it almost kind of gives it away. So, anyway, no heartbreakers. Uh, Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer Love Hewitt play a, a mother and daughter con artist, and they're trying to you know r- rip off uh, Gina Hackman, who is a tobacco tycoon who chain-smokes like no one's business, and he hacks, and he's coughing, and he's just an absolute riot. He's so unbelievably funny. It's a silly, stupid movie, but uh, it's worth watching just because Hackman is such an absolute riot. Um, also, a few other you know decent uh, people show up in here. Ray Liotta in a supporting part. Good music by John Debney. Uh, Dean Semler, who just shot uh, the new Mad Max film, does a pretty good job with the uh, the cinematography, kind of phoning it in. But Okay, anyway. so
1: she did 16 Blocks. He was an EP on 16 blocks. Yes. That was the uh, Richard Donner film, yep. Bruce Willis. Yep. Didn't work for nine years or just, or just scuffled trying to get projects done for nine years. Mm-hmm. Then she wound up just taking producer credits yep. on Into the Grizzly Maze yep. uh, with James Marsden and Thomas Jane, Harbinger Down with, this means nothing to our listeners. By no, way, it doesn't. With Lance Henriksen. And by the way, let me just say something. See, see this photo of her? It's, this is this must have been yeah. ta- that must have been taken fifteen years ago. Uh, probably that's what she looked like when I knew her.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, she's got a kid now too. You know. I don't know if you really? Know yeah. a Little girl. How do you yeah. know? Uh, do you talk to her? Uh, you know, I actually don't. But uh, when I, a certain composer friend of ours, who has not lost touch with anybody, when he was in town, he did. So <laughs> it's kind of funny.
1: So is she married or just has a kid? Yeah.
0: Now? No. Yeah. Absolutely. Married with a kid. Yep. Wow. all right that's it so we are uh, that's it for this week and uh, <laughs> we
1: spent—we we wasted three minutes talking about somebody yes, we did. whose name we didn't even say
0: all right so we're done and uh, next week it's Academy Award time I don't know if we're going to get a show in before the Oscars uh, but uh, otherwise we'll do a show after the Oscars and do a little wrap up all right everybody thanks for being here we'll see you next week